So my son, Jacob, who many of you know, um, just completed um, airborne training. And he talked about having to sit for hours with his gear on, all of his jump gear, and how uncomfortable that was. I feel like the first part of the service when I'm going to preach is like that. It feels like this encumbrance that I've got to get through so I can get up here and start talking, and then everything will be okay. Um, but anyway, so let's pray, and then we'll jump out of this plane together. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we thank you, Lord God, that you are here, that you're present. I pray, Father God, that you would guide my words, that you would give me clarity and focus. I pray, Father, that I would faithfully uh, preach your word. I pray, Father, that your people would hear what they need to hear, that I would preach to them where they are, their need, and that, Father, you would be present, that your Holy Spirit would be here working in and amongst us. I thank you, God, for your, your son, and I thank you for this opportunity. In your name, amen. All right, bear with me. I'm going to set the, the timer, and we're going to get into this. It's actually not a timer. It's more like a stopwatch, so... So Steve Breedlove introduced us to Colossians, and when he introduced us to Colossians, it was a great overview where his primary big themes were the preeminence of Christ and true faith breeding acts of trust, which are manifested by boldness in love, faith, hope, and love. I want to leave you or start you with this idea that faith is an action verb, faith is not a passive thing. There's a few writers that have really influenced me, and George MacDonald is one of those writers. He, he was a former Presbyterian, he became a congregational pastor, wrote a lot of books that many of you are familiar with, uh, Curdy and the, and the Princess, um, The Goblin and the Princess, great fairy tales, but really good reading. I'm going to refer to him some today, and I'm also going to refer to Stonewall Jackson today. So I've got some disparate uh, uh, resources today. This is a quote from McDonald. A man's real belief is that which he lives by. What a man believes is the thing he does, not the thing he thinks. We become very cerebral and rational creatures to the extent that we live in our minds and we forget to live in our bodies. One of the beautiful things about the Anglican church and tradition is that we live in our bodies here as well. What we do is important and it matters. So I want to talk a little bit about what this means. So when Paul is talking in Colossians, and I'm getting into 21 through 29, I kind of wish I had 15 through 17, or pardon me, 15 through 20, it's this beautiful, almost rapturous statement about the preeminence and the beauty of Christ. I mean, who can spend like 30 minutes talking about that? It's just all about how Christ is, is the, he is the, he is, he is, he's the I am. And it's this powerful notion and reminder of who Christ is. So he comes at this with the assumption that you know Christ, he loves you, and you know that he loves you. Now, in 21, he says, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. 
if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast. If I were to give a title to this talk, it would be called Living in the Vineyard. The real thing that jumps to me is this notion of abiding in Christ. So there's two things when we're living in the vineyard. One, we have to remember who we are. It's our identity. Now, I know a lot of you have come out of Presbyterian backgrounds where that idea of who you are, your identity in Christ, your adoption, that's been pounded into your heads. I'm going to talk a little bit about that, and then I'm going to talk about your occupation. What happens when you're in the vineyard? Because we're not just sitting there sipping wine. Ever, that's nice, but we also have a task when we're in the vineyard. So I want to talk about your identity first, just to remind you. It's good to be reminded. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9. This is who you are. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You are a particular, peculiar people chosen by God. This is who you are. Accept it. Know it. Now, that's not the end. That's just a beginning. It's like when I got married, that was just a beginning. It wasn't the end. Well, sometimes you might think it is, but it wasn't really. <laughs> it was a beginning, right? It's a new thing. You are a new people, a royal priesthood. Remember that. Don't ever forget it. Adopted. We've talked about this in the past. You are ingrafted into the family of God. So if we have our identity, then we need to talk about our occupation and our task. So the words that I focus on here, and this is really what it means for me. I'm just struggling to figure out what does it mean to live this stable and steadfast continuing in the faith. If you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast. What does it mean to be stable and steadfast? These are active verbs. It's not passive. It is a conscious act of the will to do these things, to be stable, to be steadfast. When I think of those words, it just naturally led to me thinking about this idea or this concept, this idea of abiding in him, abiding in God. What does it mean to abide? When we abide, it's an old English word, and it's got a, a really cool definition, at least when we think of it in terms of how it's used in Scripture. It means to remain stable or fixed in, to continue in a place. If we abide in Christ, we are remaining fixed in Christ. This is a really neat idea. But you know, it's so foreign to our current living, to remain fixed in Christ. It's like we were talking about this morning, Travis, about being silent for a few moments, just quieting yourself, being still. How do you remain fixed in Christ? That's what I'm going to try to answer today. That's what I'm going to at least point, maybe have some ideas. I'm not answering the question completely. I don't have that much um, uh, pride. Um, so anyway, that's what I want to talk about. In order to abide in him, we need to, I think, live according to his word, pure and simple. 
So in living according to his word, we're obedient. This is again from McDonald. It's just the old way, that of obedience. If you've ever seen the Lord, if only from afar, if you have any vaguest suspicion that the Jew Jesus, who professed to have come from God, was a better man, a different man, one of your first duties must be to open your ears to his words and see whether they seem to you to be true. Then if they do, to obey them with your whole strength and might. This is the way of life, which will lead a man out of his miseries into life indeed. Another way to think of this is, if you want to know the will of God, you have to know God. And if you know God, you know that he wants you to obey him. Psalm 15 today, what did we hear? Obey my commands. So if you want to know the will of God, obey his commands. It's not optional. And if you fail to obey his commands, you will live outside of relationship with God, even if you're a Christian. I feel like I should drop the mic and just sit down. When we abide, we are connected to God, we are dependent upon God, and we continue to walk in God. That's what abiding is. John 8.31. I'm going to be running around a little bit this morning, so just bear with me. And then for those of you who want to get ahead, we're going to be going to John 15 after this. So John 8.31 says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So we have to know his word. We have to abide in his word. So if we abide in him and we're abiding in his word, that means we're staying in his word. If I want to know Jesus, if I want to know God, I'm going to have to spend time with him in his word. John 15 gives us this beautiful picture that we get our art from in part where he talks about being the true vine. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples." As the Father also loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Abiding in his word, abiding in his commandments, abiding in his love, enables us to abide in him. So what does that mean practically? What, is, what, what do we do with that? It's a nice idea. How do we do that? 
Well, thankfully, we're not just left here to our own devices. We have, in part, the help of the church, and we also have the help of those who've gone before us. We have the help of men and women of God who've thought deeply about this. One of the things that I would propose to you that is a concrete way that we can seek to more abide in him is by engaging in the spiritual disciplines. Richard Foster, Celebration of Discipline, it's a great book. Here are some of the disciplines that he talks about. Meditation, prayer, fasting, study, simplicity, solitude, submission, service, confession, worship, guidance, celebration. Some of these are done interiorly. We do it by ourselves. Some we do collectively. Some have an outward expression. Some are just interior. It's a great read, and it's a great help. Because you know what? We're, we're looking for form in the formless. When God created the world, he created it out of nothing, and he created order. You know, we come in a, in, and live in an age that is suspect of anyone telling us what to do. Well, you know what? If you want to obey, it requires, by very nature, listening to an authority. That authority is Christ. You can't progress in the relationship if you don't obey him. Simple. So this is a way, a tool to help you sort of become more open to the word of God, to the, spirit of the, to the Holy Spirit. This is just a tool. Another great book that I just read and I highly recommend is called The Common Rule. It's Habits of Purpose for an Age of Distraction. This is a guy by the name of Justin Early. And he lives in Richmond. And I feel like when I was reading this book that I was hearing like words that I had written in my own self. I mean, it's just one of those things where you, like, you, you come to a book that's just the right time and right place in your life. This is one of those books for me. Now, when we read these books, it is so easy to think, all right, I'm going to do it. I'm all in. I'm like that. When I, you know, if I'm going to a buffet, I'm eating it all. Um, <laughs> and then I realize I can't. Um, same thing. What I want to encourage you is to take baby steps, okay? What are the one or two things that you know you can do? And then you build on that, right? So we have a foundation in Christ. Boom, that's done. That's settled. That's a great foundation. Then we move up and we start moving into this growth thing, right? Then you lay, after the footers are laid, you, you, you frame the house. And then once the framing's done, you add some more things. You put the roof on. Then the shingles. It's a progress. It's not like an overnight thing. So I want to encourage you, don't get frustrated. Because if, if I were to say what, I, what I'm actually concretely doing, it would be kind of like, well, just a little bit. I'm trying to do this thing this week, right? So I want to encourage you. You're going to fail. Accept that. It's, it's fine. It's okay to fail. Because you know what? That's where you're going to learn. You're going to learn from your failure. You don't learn really that much from your successes. But this will challenge you. And I want to encourage you to take up the challenge. Because if you want to work into or walk into this abiding, it's going to require time, effort, sweat. Common Rule, good book. It's, it's just a really neat idea of thinking differently about how you center and focus your life, how you focus your day, how you focus your mind. So... Another 
idea that I, I want to throw out to you with this notion in, in promulgation of this idea of, of abiding is that of vision. We need, I think, to see the world differently. We have become complicit and comfortable in the world. I have this idea that if we are comfortable in the world, if we don't feel tension within ourselves when we look outside in the world, that we've been co-opted by the world. That the world has basically stuck its fingers into us, its roots, if you will, and we're now breathing in not the air and breath of the spirit, but the air and breath of this world. So if you're comfortable, I think you got a problem. We are called to live counterculturally. This is not an easy thing to do when everything is working against what we're standing for. There's tension and it's not comfortable. But this is where we have to learn to see the world differently and recognize that there one is this dissonance or in incompleteness, an actual warfare, for lack of a better term. Fran, I thought you'd like that. Um, but I also want you to understand we need to see that God is working here today. If you don't open your eyes, you'll never see him. So, the challenge is to always be looking for God. Always. I see him in my practice all the time. He's always there. I see him in opportunities that open, doors that come open, and it's like, that's such a God thing. If you think that your successes are because of you and your skills and your gifting, you're wrong. It's because of God's blessing upon you. And until you recognize that, you're going to be focused on you, and you're not going to be focused on God. Jesus has blessed you with life and breath and health. He's given everything to you, and everything comes from him. And as soon as we recognize and understand that everything comes from him, every good thing comes from the Father, then we'll be able to say, I trust my Father. And when you trust your father, there is nothing to fear. There is nothing to fear in this world. When the Christians went to their deaths in the Colosseum, they went singing hymns, knowing that their deaths, their blood, was for some greater good, and they were content with it. We are afraid of everything. We live in an age of fear. We're afraid of our neighbors. We're afraid of other countries. We're afraid of the economy failing. We're afraid of it all. We have no basis of all the people in all the world. We should be the most hopeful, confident, peace-loving because we have this knowledge that God is so, so real and he loves us so deeply. There's no place for fear when perfect love drives it out. And that's what God has done for us. He's demonstrated this for us with the life and death and blood of his son, Jesus Christ. What more confirmation do we need? So, remember that. 
the other thing I want to encourage you with is there is no sort of first tier, second tier, you know, there's no gold and platinum Christians, right? Um, we're all sojourners together. And yeah, you might see someone who's more mature or maybe has some more experience, maybe a few more gray hairs. That's, that's not the same thing. What I'm trying to tell you is that we're all valuable in God's eyes and that there aren't sort of like class A Christians and then there's class C Christians, right? So that's and one to encourage us that we're all in this together. There's this body and we're all a part of this body. Even Paul talks about this, how the, the hand is not less valuable or than the foot, we all need each other, and we're all a part of this, right? So I don't want you to get frustrated and say, well, I'm not like that person. Forget about that. They've got their walk with God. You've got yours. Walk it. So what does some of this stuff look like? Let's take a look at, at, um, at Colossians 3. Paul sort of alludes to this as well as in Galatians. Well, oftentimes, we just sort of focus on, on just the, 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 the fruits. I want to talk about, he, doesn't, he does so much more than just give us a, a list of fruits. So this is Colossians 3, uh, 5 through 17. This is Paul talking to the church. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. That's what unifies us. Put on then, put on then. This is classic Paul language. Take off the old dirty stuff, put on the new. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you are, indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching, admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. That's what we're doing here right now. Humility, meekness, compassion, kindness, patience. How does that list, was, does that describe our current age? Does that describe our workplace? Does that describe how we respond to our workplace? To our families, to our children? Galatians 5, um, Paul again hits us with both barrels. I really like Paul. Um, 18 verses, uh, starting with uh, chapter 5, verses 18. I'm going to run through this. So he goes on and says, But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. This is a word of freedom. 
Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that, these, that those who do, do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. There's humility, there's grace, there's understanding. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him. We should be looking to bring people back into the fold, to bring them back in a right relationship with Christ. That's what our job is, in part. Keep watch on, your ste- on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. All of this is cloaked and clothed in humility. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity... Let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Here is a call to love and to love deeply, to do it with humility, to do it with an understanding of our own failings, and to do it in a way that is understanding of the brokenness of the world, a brokenness of ourselves, and the wholeness that comes from being in right relationship with Jesus. You think it's easy? I don't think it is. I think it's really hard. Um, And that's why I think it takes a lifetime to do it. Uh, We're sojourners. We're, We're on a journey together. So what are some of the results of this abiding obedience I promised you a quote from uh, Stonewall Jackson. I just finished, you can always tell what books I've read by what I talk about. Um, And I just finished this book by S.C. Gwynn called Rebel Yell, The Violence, Passion, and Redemption of Stonewall Jackson. I really didn't know that much about Stonewall Jackson before I I read the book. Um, I knew he lost his arm in Chancellorsville. I knew, you know, the Valley Campaign. But that's about all. Talk about a fascinating individual. This guy was deeply religious, uh, was, I would call him a, a, a very faithful man, um, regardless of what you think about his politics. He so imbued this notion of wanting to be in right relationship with God, and he had such great confidence in God's blessing and protection of him. This is a quote from him. This is talking to a captain on his staff. Captain, my religious belief teaches me to feel safe, as safe in battle as in bed. God has fixed the time for my death. I do not concern myself about that, but to be always ready no matter what, no matter when it may overtake me. That is the way all men should live. 
and then all would be equally brave. You might think and say, well, that's great for him to say he was a general, he was in the rear, rear of the lines. Um, it's pretty safe. So at the commencement of a battle, he and another aide saw there was, in the middle of the battlefield in no man's land, there were a bunch of blackberries, a blackberry patch. He loved blackberries. And so he invited him to come with him and pick blackberries while there's shells and rifle rounds that are going back and forth. And this is an actual, uh, this actually occurred. So Jackson went happily into the field anyway, calmly picking and eating the ripe fruit, even though, as Douglas observed, the bullets seemed to be as plentiful as blackberries. At one point, he turned to his increasingly anxious aide and said, and with a large juicy berry between his thumb and finger, asked him casually in what part of the body that he preferred being shot. Douglas, nervously handling, handing the general berries while mini balls whistled overhead and buried themselves in trees around them, replied that while his first choice was to be hit in his clothing, he preferred any place other than his face or joints. Jackson said he had that old-fashioned horror of being shot in the back, and so great was his prejudice on the subject that he often found himself turning his face in the direction from which the bullets came. Just then, a bullet thudded into a sapling near their heads. And Jackson, with a vague remark about getting his horse, ki his horse killed, reluctantly left the feast. We might call that foolhardy faith, but I'll tell you this, it was faith in action. If we could live like that, with the confidence that nothing happens to us, that God does not know, and that God will work us through, there is no need for fear. This should be the place where fear does not exist. Why? Because we have confidence in the promise and the reality, the truth of the resurrection of Christ. You know, I, I love this quote from Thomas the Kempis where he basically says that he who seeks to kill self seeks a good thing. But when we die to ourselves, we need to remember that we have a resurrection every day as well. And we rise with Christ each and every day. We need to get good at practicing resurrection. We need to get good at being Easter people every day. So I want to encourage you to be confident. I want to encourage you to live a life that is filled with abundance. I want to encourage you to live a life that is in relationship to Christ. And you know what? At the end of all this, what is there? There's death. We don't need to be afraid of that either. It's just another transition. It's just another change. It's just another step into relationship that's even more deep with Jesus. There's a poem that I wanted to share that sort of, I think, gives a proper perspective of that final transition, that final crossing. It's called a meeting, and it goes like this. In a dream, I meet my dead friend. He has, I know, gone long and far, and yet he is the same, for the dead are changeless. They grow no older. It is I who have changed, grown strange to what I was. Yet I, the changed one, ask, how you been? 
He grins and looks at me. I've been eating peaches off some mighty fine trees. I like peaches. I like blackberries. There's nothing to fear, Christian. God's thoughts, his will, his love, his judgments are all man's home. To think his thoughts, to choose his will, to love his loves, to judge his judgments, and thus to know that he is in in us is to be at home. I want to welcome you home. Home to who you were called to be. Home where you were intended to grow. Home where you grow into what God has called you to be. You will be more you when you are in relationship with Christ than in any other place. Because you cannot be at home anywhere else. So come home. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.